and welcome to a sassy little podcast for getting over it. I'm your host, Sandra Ann Miller. Today we're talking about getting the F over food addiction, and I want to be very clear that this is in no way about fat shaming or promoting diet culture. This will be a talk about an addiction that is crippling for many, but one that the medical community and society seems to ignore. Our guest is the medical director of Canada's largest drug and alcohol residential treatment center, which has a unique 28-day live-in treatment program for women with food addiction. She's the author of Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction, and has recovered from her own food addiction, being clean from sugar and flour for eight years, while maintaining a 100-pound weight loss for over 12 years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Vera Tarman. Hello, Sandra. Thank you. And for everybody listening, thank you for my opportunity to speak with you all. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to have this conversation. It, it just seems like a very obvious affliction that is ignored, uh -huh. especially by doctors. Yeah. You know, when you introduced it, you hit it right on the head. You said, we don't want to be fat shaming and we don't want to promote a diet culture. I, I really like that you focused on that because when uh, uh, people talk about food addiction, um, it's usually dismissed because people think, well, we're fat shaming, we're, we're mm -hmm. saying, uh, you know, this is the reason why people get fat. So that's a bad thing. And, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to promote a, um, a food plan that's going to be very restrictive, in other words, diet. And uh, this is a great opportunity to speak with you, Sandra, to show that that's in fact, not the case. Like, I really like that you started with that, because that's exactly it. This is not about fat shaming. And it's well, not you. about a, a restrictive food plan either. Right. I think, you know, we get really focused on not having anything we want taken away from us. And yeah. it's, it's not really about that. But I do think that we need to come to terms with the fact that food has changed. How we grow it, the genetic modification of it, how we process it, all of that has changed. We have sugar in everything. Yeah. It's, it's just that... We have created the edible equivalent of Oxycontin. And, yeah, that's right. and so it's not surprising that we are unwittingly addicted to food that we think is normal or what might even have a healthy label on it in the store. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, we, we, uh, when we talk about, I mean, I'm talking about food addiction and what I primarily mean by that is sugar and flour addiction. Mm -hmm. And then depending on the level at which a person has a problem with this condition of food addiction, uh, it might mean other foods besides sugar and flour. Um, but it, it, uh, it, it gives the implication that um, these are foods that we should otherwise be able to eat. Uh, and in fact, what we're asking people to do is re-envision re things like sugar, not as a normal food product, like mm -hmm. it, it's only normal in today's society. It's not even normal in my generation. I grew up where we ate just bad food, like, uh, you know, sweets, uh, like for desserts, mm -hmm. um, maybe once a week or on a special weekend or, you know, holiday or something like that. But now it's like every day, sometimes instead of food, it's so normalized. It's so changed. Right. Well, I grew up in the the 70s and 80s, and I will tell you that I would have bologna sandwiches on white bread. I would have <laughs> chips in my lunch. Yeah. I would have a pack of, of pudding or a ding dong or a Twinkie. Yeah. Or some, there was a lot of sugar that you'd get home and have cookies or a candy bar ice yeah. cream after dinner, but we were not obese. We were not necessarily addicted to these foods. They were traits. Okay. They were part yeah. of our, you know, daily consumption, sadly. But my theory is, and I'm by no means a scientist, that the food itself has changed. Like I said, how we grow it, how we process it. There's something that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely the Food has changed and it continues to change, uh, but also the norms, the norms have changed and the expectations of what we, how much sugar we can have, have changed. I mean, it was actually your generation with, oh my God, all those foods that you listed um, <laughs> were, were introduced in the 70s and right. 80s. Um, yeah, and and they didn't exist when I was, uh, you know, I hate to say at your age, like I grew up in the, in the 60s and it was still fairly unusual to mm -hmm. eat that kind of stuff on a daily basis, but it was no longer in your case. So it's not just that the food has changed, but the 
practices of eating have changed. Like I grew up in a, I hate to sound like an old lady here because I'm not. You <laughs> you're not, tests. you're not at all. Um, but, you know, to eat uh, in a doctor's office was considered rude. Now mm -hmm. it's, it's just, you know, you play your, your uh, uh, iPhone or you have your earphones on and listening to music and you're eating at the same time as you're in your doctor's office or your whatever office. That was, we just never did that in, uh, in, in my day. Uh, like, so the, the norms have really changed. So you, you, we can basically graze all day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and, and that was kind of touted as something that you should do to stabilize your blood sugar. You should be mm. eating every two hours. It's, it helps your metabolism. I mean, there's all these theories about how we should eat, yeah. but, but not necessarily as much what we should eat and what we should not eat. And yeah. I think the simple answer is if it's processed, it's probably not the best thing for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the stand that we take now. And and that kind of thinking um, is relatively new as well, new as in the last five or 10 years. We, you know, we used to say processed food, now we're saying ultra-processed food or ultra-refined because things, like you said, are changing mm -hmm. every year. They're getting more and more um, unhealthy and more and more addictive yes. and more and more processed. It's, it's all part of the same thing. Yes. and. So I've kind of been curious because when I watch these shows randomly, like from a Dr. Pimple Popper, I don't know if, if you have that up in Canada, or um, the show Intervention, yeah, or the show My 600-Pound Life. Yes. And when you look at a show like Intervention, you're seeing the addict in the midst of their disease. Yes. And and being pulled out of it, and the resistance to that because yeah, addiction is very is very gripping. Yeah. And when you get to a show like My Six Hundred Pound Life, yeah, you see the same behavior. So the fact that a viewer can see the parallels there, but uh -huh. the medical community kind of ignores that because yeah. you have the addiction, you have the withdrawal, you have the enabling. Yeah. When people can't physically go out and buy their food, somebody else is bringing it to them. It's the parallel just seems obvious. Yeah. It, I mean, it is obvious, but what, you know, uh, part of the reason why the, the medical, I mean, there's lots of reasons why the medical community doesn't um, embrace this concept. And it's very frustrating for me as a medical clinician. Um, but one of the reasons is, is simply because of the examples that you gave like intervention and the uh, my 600 pound um whatever that the, the title it's very fat shaming like that mm -hmm, is yes. uh, fat shaming and uh, uh you know it's it's I, I, I a medical clinician is not going to want to embrace something that's so dramatic and so shaming mm -hmm. um so there's uh, on that level uh um it's easy to dismiss it or just say we're not going there because that's that's ridiculous but it, it, it's also the medical profession doesn't want to embrace this because it's either hugely shaming or it's so ubiquitous and so normal, which is what we were talking about a mm -hmm. minute ago. Um, so either extreme that one, we want to dismiss it because we're not going there. That's, that's shaming or um, we're going to uh, be dismissive because how can you be addicted to food? That's ridiculous. We all need to eat food. We all eat this stuff. And there isn't a, a sort of area in between. And then there's the whole other dimension. So the clinic, the medical community doesn't want to embrace it for those reasons. It also doesn't want to embrace it because we don't yet have um, a clinical research to substantiate this, but we're not going to until we actually have uh, diagnoses so that we can actually, uh, m m you know, find people and study them and measure them. Um, mm -hmm. We're still at the level in the research, the food addiction research of um, animals, you know, rats who choose uh, um, sugar over cocaine. There's very little research looking at food addicts uh, and, uh, you know, different diet plans and which work for them. We need to get more of that. But in order to get more of that, which is going to help medical clinicians, we've actually got to have diagnoses of food addiction. And that's where we're really stumbling right now. Yes. Yeah. Well, and with my point of um, mentioning Dr. Pimple Popper. Yeah. What never seems to come up is what are you eating? What's your diet like? Like when you have a skin condition that's causing inflammation throughout your body. Yes. That tells me, and again, I'm just a girl from California. 
who occasionally reads up on nutrition, watches a couple couple of documentaries, grabs yeah. a book here and there. Why why that isn't brought up, especially when you're dealing with inflammation? Food yeah. really drives that. So yeah. when I see shows with physicians, and the question is, what's what's your diet? What what are you eating? It's not the first question that we no. ask. We should be asking that question, but part of it is because we're not trained to ask that question. We we farm that information out to our dietitians and nutritionists. They ask those questions, and we don't really care what they have to say. Uh, I'm, you know, I mean, we should, but we don't. Right. Um, and you know, in Canada, I don't know if there's an equivalent group in the states, but in Canada, there is actually a, a medical uh, Facebook community. Uh, I mean, it's outside of Facebook, but that's how I know about it. Called the Therapeutic uh, Nutrition um, uh, Low Carb Community. So, so they're looking at food as mm -hmm. a therapeutic modality. But that's an unusual uh, perspective because, frankly, doctors much prefer the. I'm sorry to say it, but the simple and easy way, which is medication. Um, right. or surgery like that's sort of it's sort of like that's what we're good at that's what we're going to do uh and you know we'll leave the other stuff to the nutritionists but i don't think we should we like it's a political economic issue as well as medical issue yes very much so because that brings up another another problem here is the inequity in our food supply so if you uh, are low income you yeah. you can only really afford to buy those highly processed, refined foods, go yes. to go to a fast food place and and buy up the ninety nine cent menu. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and uh, although ultimately it ends up being more expensive because once you're stuck in the food, you know your face is quoting the food. Um, now you're buying all sorts of stuff, uh, and it ends up being an, an expensive habit. Maybe not as expensive as a, a cocaine habit, but you know, people who are in the throes of food addiction can spend a uh, hundred bucks a night on various foods. Like it, sure. it can get that extreme. But early days, yes, you're right. There's the ninety-nine cent menu, and or the or the Big Mac, or you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, uh, yes, it's it's a problem. Yes. Yeah. And, and those foods do become more and more addictive. So as you, the more you eat them, the more you crave them, yes. the more it seems normal. And yes. then, and then the expense gets racked up the expense and then the deterioration of health, which is also an expense. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that because guess what? Like uh, at the end of the day, what's a consequence besides food addiction, but diabetes. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, the, the expense of uh, medication uh, is high. You know, and you have to have an insurance plan to be able to afford that stuff. So, uh, yes, it does end up being much more expensive if, if you don't want to count your actual physical health, uh, you know, of, of having a shortened lifespan and <laughs> amputation and all that kind of stuff, like those kind of physical consequences. Even before that, there's the medication, which is extremely expensive. Right. You can avoid all of that. So if you, I mean, I, you know, my partner bought an apple and spent $5 for that apple. That's a lot of money. I right. agree. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's $5 of uh, a medication that uh, we're not going to have to take, you know, in our older years because we're not, we're not, we don't have diabetes. We don't have high blood pressure. We don't have high cholesterol. In my age group, those are the three main classes of drugs that most of my peers are, are taking. I'm taking none of that. But instead, I'm spending $5 for an apple. Right. But wouldn't it be interesting if the medical community did embrace this? And did yeah. see food as medicine, and we got a yeah. prescription for that, yes. for the copay, so you could go buy yeah. the food that you actually need that's going to Absolutely. keep you healthy. Yeah, and and it's only a small group of doctors, and they've had to band together to support each other because they're so frustrated. Uh, but I I have hope. I have hope that uh, you know this therapeutic nutrition community um, is going to grow because you know they're getting they're getting it they're getting the message. Unfortunately, uh, in even in my like I'm from Canada, and in my um, what we call the bariatric physician community, so that's that's the doctors who deal with obesity. Mm -hmm. The primary still 2020 uh, is medication and surgery, and uh, therapeutic nutrition is at the bottom of that still. And it just seems baffling to me because we are in 2020. We yeah. know about holistic medicine. We know that the body works as as a whole yeah it, what you put in is really important yes 
it, it, you know, it, I, I would probably say that like so much in society, we were becoming so diversified that um, the people who listen to me talk just say, oh, that's Dr. Tarman speaking. Um, my doctor doesn't say that. And, right. you know, we just, it, it's, it, it's so diversified. It's very easy to compartmentalize. And, you know, that's those people. And, you know, we don't have a common voice anymore. No, and we can always find an expert that will back our yeah. our preference. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that, that's why I always tell my patients uh, when you hear somebody speak, ask who's funding their talk. Exactly. And, uh, uh, you know what's the benefit of it? Well, I can tell you right now, nobody's funding my talks because I don't have anything to sell other than don't eat particular right. foods. Yeah. Well, and and this kind of brings up a, another. As we're going through this crazy year. Mm-hmm. In the midst of a pandemic, climate change is really being thrown in our face, especially here in California, where we're always on fire. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, and we're all home. So I'm watching an awful lot of documentaries. And two that really stood out to me are Fat Fiction uh-huh. and um, Kiss the Ground. Oh, okay. So Fat Fiction talks a lot about not being afraid of fat, how the USDA got it wrong, that it, that the whole diet plan was based on zero science and cherry picking yeah. data. And we just got it wrong. And this is where it kind of tipped for us in the eighties when the food changed and we went low fat and put yes. sugar in. Yes. And so that kind of geared everything toward, if you take out the fat, you've got to put in the flavor with, with the sugar. So anything, yeah. anytime you buy something low fat, non-fat, or light, read the label because it's chock full of sugar. Exactly. And then the flip side of that is Kiss the Ground, which is about our soil and how our modern farming is eroding it. Uh And so it seems to me if we start paying attention to food as medicine and focusing on eating whole foods and getting rid of all of this highly processed foods, we're going to redirect our farmers we can redirect them in how they farm and save the soil. Having healthy soil cools the planet. It all comes around in this really great way of saving uh-huh. not only our health, but the health of the planet and all the uh-huh. people on it. So this is the theory I'm floating around anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it sounds good. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'll, just, I'll just throw into that, that uh, along with the uh, processed food, um, which has, you know, served to erode the, the soil and also erode our, our, our health. It's also eroded our mental health because right. um, not only have we developed things like obesity and diabetes, but we've also developed food addiction because mm-hmm. people aren't addicted to, to foods, you know, 200 years ago. There, there may have been the rare rich person who was, uh, you know, over eight uh, and probably because they were eating a lot of sweets then, which mm-hmm. was considered a very... Uh, uh, you had to have a lot of money to be able to do that then. Right. Uh, now it's, of course, uh, everybody can do it if they want to. But, in, uh, you know, the, the more um, accessible it became, so did food addiction or sugar addiction become. And, you know, that's just made it all the worse. Uh, because uh, it also, this increased sugar addiction, which is, you know, what we've been talking about, this overeating thanks to the refined food industry, also has opened the door for other addictions. So it's not just food, but it, you know, it's, it's like a gateway mm-hmm. uh, drug to other addictions. Uh, you know, cause once you start eat to, eating too much, then you pick up cigarettes so that you don't eat as much. And then you pick up uh, maybe drinking or cocaine so that you don't, you know, to, to uh, uh, reduce your appetite. Mm-hmm. And now you've got bigger and worse addictions than the first one. Although I think food addiction is just as bad. It's just a lot slower. Yeah. These other newer addictions will, will kill you much more quickly. But anyway, my point is, is that it's a a gateway to other more devastating addictions. Yes. Would you like to share a little bit about your journey through food, through food addiction? Um, uh, Yeah, sure. Because my, my journey is um, it's, it's by no means unusual. Um, uh, It's, I think the only thing about it is that I went on that journey uh, early days when, uh, because I was one of the first people who was exposed to this new food environment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I uh, my experience was uh, in my in my I guess my twenties and in university years, um, just being exposed to the foods in the uh, you know cafeterias of the universities and the uh, um, uh, the 
I forget what they're called. Those machines where you can oh, buy the vending machines. Yeah, thank you. That sort of thing. So the accessibility of food becoming more and more available. Um, and uh, I, like so many uh, young women, uh, um, started to gain a little bit more weight than I wanted to. That's not normal. That's not illness. That's just part of society and that fat shaming that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what ended up happening was, is um, I started to uh, gain weight and then try to restrict and what happens to so many people is they restrict their food and then when then and then because they decide well i've lost 30 40 pounds that's great i guess i can eat again they didn't just go back to eating normal foods they went back to eating you know i've been holding back cuz i really want that big mac and i really want those candies so i went back to those foods which are addictive foods and so then uh, when I, so I ended up binging and then developing what looked like an eating disorder. And this was in the seventies when eating disorders became known. I mean, before that they weren't known. Right. It's just a few people. And I'm convinced that it was because of this phenomena of new foods coming in, you restrict and you, you go back. And you, if I had just gone back to eating apples and, and potatoes, I probably would have been fine, but I didn't, I went back to these foods. Then I started to gain weight again and then, you know, restrict and then binge. And so you get this kind of eating disorder picture, which I'm sure most people listening, if they've ever been on a diet have gain that weight back and more, you you lose the weight and then you gain back more. And so you go back on a diet, lose the weight and gain back even more. And you just keep gaining more weight over time. Um, And then I was fortunate enough because I'm in the addiction field. I'm a doctor. um, I just saw exactly what you said, which was that pattern of behavior um, that looked, you know, from the intervention and the 500 Mm -hmm. pound person, this is behavior that looks very similar because it was in my face every day at work, I could see that connection. And um, uh, because I'm an addiction doctor, I know that the best solution for an addiction is to quit. Don't try to moderate or cut down because you want it. But if you, if you stop it, like I'm trying to quit smoking, you can't stop smoking by just smoking less. It just makes you want more. Um, You have to stop, get over the withdrawal. And then you're like, thank God I'm not smoking anymore, but we don't do that with food. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I knew, I knew that you had to do that. And so, um, uh, did that. And until I discovered my own success, Oh my God. Uh, now, I mean, I had gained like a hundred pounds with this previous technique of quit, binge, gain Mm -hmm. more weight. And then tried this this addiction um, tool, which was called Quit the Substance Forever. Or, I mean, one day at a time. Right. And I I haven't gone back to it because I don't want it anymore. Plus, I've I've lost that hundred pounds and it hasn't come back. And 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 in uh, the my medical world, part of the reason why we don't like to um, adopt these extreme measures is you know, like you said, fat shaming. Um, uh, it's because we tell patients go and lose weight. They don't lose the weight they just right. gain back more weight and you know you don't want to be as a doctor you're going to embarrass the person eventually but I, I don't not in that position because my patients who follow this don't gain the weight weight back right yeah and so people get very confused about food addiction and, and quitting what you're addicted to yes but i had to explain it to a friend it's you know when you're an alcoholic you quit drinking not everything but you quit drinking alcohol. You can have exactly. juice and soda and water and tea and coffee. Yeah. So with food addiction, you aren't quitting food. You're quitting yeah. those trigger foods, which are exactly. sugar and yeah. flour. Yes. And and people will say, but I can't do that. How can I live my life like that? And, and it's just like if anybody here is listening and used to smoke cigarettes, I don't know if you're ever a smoker. No. Um, if you're a smoker, you think I, I can never live without my cigarettes. Well, I'm an ex-smoker. And, and I can tell you that after uh, it took a few months, but the thought of picking up a cigarette now is like, ugh, I don't wouldn't want to go there. You know, it stinks and bad breath and right. smells my clothes up. And I mean, I feel disgusted at the thought listen, you guys, that's how you'll feel about sugar. Like I walk into something and it's like, Oh my God, that smells so sweet. Wouldn't <laughs> you know, g- give me, give me that apple. That's $5. That, that apple is as good as your piece of cheesecake. And it's even better than the cheesecake. Cause I'm not going to feel sick after. Right. Um, uh, so uh, it, it won't be a feeling of deprivation uh, after literally three or four weeks. It'll be like done. Right done it's I don't, I don't i'm not sitting there going oh i really wish i could have that thing it's it's a relief it's release yes and you feel better 
Yes, absolutely feel better. Feel better. And also I never worry. Uh, and this is another big deal because in, in the old days, anytime I ate something, it was like calories. How many calories is this? And what's this going to do to my weight? It's like I eat and I don't think about it because I know that having that apple or Brussels spread or whatever it is, is not going to put weight on me in the way that uh, those Twinkies or whatever it is that you listed would put weight on. And I really would have to worry about calories. Don't have to think about it at all. Like this is not about deprivation. It's not about right. calorie counting. It's right. about choosing to eat healthy food and let your body do its job. Well, and I think we do turn to diets not just to look good. I mean, that might mm. be the the exterior reason right. to do it, but we're also looking to feel better. Yes. I have asthma and allergies, Epstein Barr, gastritis, and I don't like feeling bad. Uh-huh. So I've tried to figure out what I need to do to feel better. So I haven't had red meat since Live Aid. I haven't had dairy for decades. Uh-huh. I was gluten-free for about three years. I've been grain-free for uh-huh. over a year. Wow. And, and I also don't have caffeine or sugar, including chocolate. And you're talking to a girl who loved her very, very, very <laughs> dark chocolate. It uh-huh. was a thing. I had to have it. And so, yes, you you will go through a little bit of a withdrawal. And I thought I was really eating healthy. Uh-huh. But I learned, I think the first one was the South Beach diet, which taught me about the glycemic index. Oh, yes, yes. And that got rid of all of my sugar crashes after that. I didn't oh. have a sugar crash, but that was really reliant upon artificial sweeteners, which are not my jam. And yeah. I also read Eat Right for Your Type, which talked about how your blood type could affect how food, yeah. you react to food. And for the most part, I already ate that diet naturally. I'm type A negative. So I uh-huh. wasn't in love with red meat, clearly. And I'd already given up dairy. And I gave up dairy for my allergies just because, you know, I'll oh. say it. Snotty is not just an attitude. So getting rid of dairy, <laughs> yes, getting rid of dairy helped me with that. Mm. And now um, I love bread. I love rice. But to get rid of all of that, I will say I haven't had a sinus infection. Like last year was the first year I did not have a sinus infection. We are wow. halfway through October this year, haven't had a sinus infection. That was like my annual six-week nightmare. Wow. So there's something to it. I learned early on yeah. in my 20s that there are foods that don't work for me and I'm better with them not in my body. But yes, you give me a bag of potato chips, I'm going to enjoy them. If there are french fries, I'm going to enjoy those. But it's not a daily thing. So I'm not deprived. Uh-huh. I don't count calories. I am never hungry, but I'm also not feeling like crap. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have your own story. Yeah. Well, just just to feel better. Yes. So I yes. think when when we eat to feel better, if we're sad or stressed out, we'll eat to feel better. Yes. But the foods we choose end up making us feel worse. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, there's two things I want to just throw in. Uh, one is that in the addiction world, we have a phrase that, that might be out there in the in the larger world too, which is just, you know, I came for the vanity and stayed for the sanity. You know, <laughs> I came to look good, lose the weight, but right. at, at, at a certain point, it was just because I feel better. But, you know, like the idea about, you know, food is comfort. Uh, it is comfort. I, I mean, it, it gives, it's a neurochemical experience. When we eat foods, we, it, you know, it goes to the reward center. And, and it was intended to do that. And if we eat the foods that our body was made for, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, like the foods of, I, I want to say one or 200, basically before the industrial food situation, uh, before refined foods came on the scene, um, you know, we are, our brains, you know, we like sweets, we like fat because mm-hmm. it's energy dense and that's okay if we eat it in the natural ways uh, right. that those things exist. We can love our food and if we're not eating refined food, um, it's perfectly, we will only love it to the point that when, when I'm full, I don't want any more, but when I'm hungry, I really want it. Like it, it's a perfect system. Right. Um 
and and you know it, it can be comfortable but it's not over comfort it's not like my my thing that i need for beyond hunger like you know to deal with my stresses in the world it wouldn't work well enough for that the, the real food environment well and i think there's also something about these highly processed foods our bodies don't recognize them so they don't know that we're full necessarily. They don't know that we're satisfied. And I understand that insulin may be blocking our leptin receptors. Um, Yes, that's right. You can become leptin resistant. Uh, So, which is essentially like saying that the leptin receptors are blocked. They just don't work because we're resistant to leptin. And that happens um, when there's a, when when a person becomes obese and it also Mm -hmm. happens, um, uh, you know, leptin is our neuro, it's our hormone that is, that satisfies us. And uh, it becomes, uh, uh, the more obese we are, uh, the more we have on board, um, and the, therefore the less effective it becomes. And, and our desire to eat, which is, which is spurred on by insulin and mm-hmm. also dopamine, that's where the hormone and the neurochemical meets. And, and they both together make for a voracious hunger, even though I'm full. Right, and I might otherwise be satisfied full, like because I just ate a meal. But uh, I, I'm so um, wanting more because it's this beautiful dessert that I haven't had yet, and now I've got hunger I didn't know I had. That's that's something that's beyond what leptin. I mean, leptin's still there, saying please stop. Right, but the desire to have it is so much bigger that I just barge through the door anyway, which is what addiction is. Mm-hmm. It's you know that crack addict, that alcoholic, is at the at the very time as they're picking up their eighth drink or their eighth whatever. They're also saying, "I really wish I could stop." Like I really wish I could stop. But the desire, the itch to have more, is just so much bigger that they can't stop, even with, though they wish they could. It happens with food too. Right. Person so full, they want to stop, but they still want it. Yeah. Well, and I think we, we all have had those moments. I know. You know go to a Mexican restaurant, how many baskets of chips and salsa are you going to have? Because they keep bringing it to you and it tastes good and you keep eating it. And I remember a friend and I, we went out and we had been walking around all day. So by the time we sat down for dinner, we were starving and it took a while for our dinner to come out. So we probably Uh had several baskets of chips before our dinner arrived, then ate the whole dinner. And then we were just kind of beached on my sofa. And I really, if I could have had somebody just surgically remove that from my body, Uh because it was just a brick at that point. Oh my God. It's just so uncomfortable. And you know, halfway through doing it, you're doing it and you know, there's going to be a price to pay. But I think we've all done that at some point. So it's not that hard to imagine. This is what food addiction feels like. Yes. You hit it on the head. That's what food addiction feels like. And then if you want to know why somebody would go to the extent that that 600 pound person goes to, just take that feeling that you have and uh, exponentiate it. Just just imagine that more, three, four, five times more. I mean, it becomes a drive that's compelling, that's overpowering. Mm-hmm. I mean, the person is crying, saying, I wish I didn't have to do this as they get in the car, you know, to drive to buy more food. Yeah, like it's not a it's not a happy experience. A binge is not a happy experience, uh, whether it's alcohol or cocaine or or food. I mean, initially it is the first right. the first hour maybe, but after that, because it can go on for a whole night. Well, and it's and it just seems that if we all learn to put ourselves in that place and to understand it, but also yeah. sort of demand from our medical community to look at the obvious. Yeah. And and yeah. to just kind of help more because we are sensitive and we don't want anyone to be embarrassed or or not be the person they want to be. Yeah. Live your life however you want to do it. But if you are in an addiction, if you are needing help, there yeah. should be a much more readily available resource for you. Yes. And it should be something that your doctor can bring up. Because yeah. 
the thing is that I think where the change needs to be is that the doctor is looking at the consequences. You've got diabetes, you've got high blood pressure. We're going to treat you for those medication. Oh, you're, you eat too much here. I'll give you a medication that will suppress your appetite and off you go. Uh, and the surgeon is, well, you know, we can, you know, surgically take out that part of your bowel that will absorb food so that you'll absorb less and then you'll lose weight. And, and that's the focus. What, what we need to have is another type of physician, which I think is the addiction physician saying, mm-hmm. you know what, the weight will take care of itself. Let's not focus on that. Let's not focus on the vanity. Let's focus on the sanity. Do you want to be able to just live your life without thinking about food all the time or about your weight all the time or about how much you hate yourself? Because that's right. inevitably what happens. Would you like to just be free of all of that? And here's a food plan that will give you that. You may not lose weight tomorrow, you will over the course of a year, it may not be super slim, but it'll certainly be uh, sufficient. Um, It'll certainly be enough, like most people would be happy. Um, uh, So we need to have a focus away from the consequences, which are obesity and all these conditions, but more to the initial thing. of um, Wouldn't you like to be in a situation where you're not choosing the wrong foods all the time? Right. Which is, as you said, it's the it's it's not what doctors are used to looking at. I, I actually think it, it needs to be the public. Um, I don't know, the public that's blaming the victim. Um, no, but I think we should be able to, to speak doctor. up. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. We're in this time where we're, where we're able to really focus on what needs to be different. And and we are learning that our voice does matter and we're learning how to speak out, especially in America where we were always just so busy and working and focused on different things. And now that we're, for the most part, we're at home. Yes. We have an opportunity to become more aware, to become more educated about things that we're curious about and to implement those changes. And one of the changes is, I mean, and I say this, with respect, but when we see a loved one abusing themselves mm-hmm. with drugs or alcohol, it, it's yeah. almost an imperative to give an intervention, to offer them help, to get them into rehab. Right. But we don't have that yes. with people who are abusing their bodies with food. Uh, we need to have interventions there too. Yes, we, and we don't. I, I've actually seen it in my workplace, but very, but not very often. And it does feel very awkward for people because it's so unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, the other thing I want to say is that in COVID, so people aren't working, uh, so they're also not able to go to the gym, right? Because you right. can't go to the gym. And and uh, so you know, there's this th- sense of COVID weight gain because we're eating more bread and cake because we're baking more mm-hmm. and we're not going to the gym. So if 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 we could have sort of a, a public movement aside that says, look, you don't need to go to the gym. You can go to the gym because it's pleasant. But uh, if, if you just eat the right foods, you know, have something that's not about bread and, and, and baking, but something else like can, can we eat good food? And I don't, I don't know how to do this. Uh, and then you don't need to go to the gym either. Like the gym is fine, but um, too many people have been, it's that way. It's that diet industry. Um, using the gym as a way to burn off all that extra food that they've been eating. And it, that's not the reason, that's not a good reason to go to the gym. Right. And um, then, then once you start working out, then there's a diet to maintain that and you want to build exactly, more muscle. So it all becomes about exactly, food. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you what can you let can go eat. of that whole thing. Yeah. Just eat right. And you won't need to go to the gym, but you're going to want to go for walks. You're going to want to do stuff because you have all this energy and yes. time. <laughs> and that's just it. I think if, if you're not feeling good, Think about what you're eating. Mm-hmm. If you are dealing with depression, yeah. think about what you're eating because certain foods will exacerbate that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if we eat um, sugars, so I mean, I could talk a little bit about the neurochemistry. If sure. You, would you look at, yeah. So, you know, the, the, uh, the way that we've understood the impact of sugar on the brain and body is uh, a lot of people look at the hormonal aspect of sugar. So they look at how uh, sugar increases the um, insulin because it's the insulin that has to carry that extra sugar. And the insulin um, uh, contributes to weight gain and all these, you know, hyperinsulinemia, which, which creates 
um, diabetes and all these medical conditions, including obesity, that are a problem. Um, so a lot of th th that's where a lot of focus has been. Uh, and, and then there's the other area to look at that sugar will um, is hooked is connected with dopamine because dopamine is our neurochemical that motivates us to do more of that whatever it is. Um, because I mean, it's it's the thing in my brain that makes me want to walk my dog, talk to people, go out and do things so that I'm not just a couch potato doing nothing. Um, and uh, food is one of those things because I need food to eat, um, uh, to, to be alive. So I have a dopamine um, splurge when I eat well because my body wants me to eat well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the food industry has taken that normal phenomena of the pleasure of an apple, for example, or Brussels sprout or something, and has enhanced it so that I get that exquisite, um, what do they call it, the sweet spot or of, of mm -hmm. you know, just that rush. Super up, that rush, which is far beyond natural, uh, so that I'm now going to want apple after apple after apple, which essentially then becomes alcohol, fermented uh, apple or uh, candy, processed uh, uh, fructose in the apple, um, so that I get a, a dopamine rush instead of just that pleasant experience of a nice meal. It's like this frenzy of excitement. Um, and that's the piece that comforts initially and then mm -hmm. eventually addicts. Uh, if we can get off that crazy roller coaster of up and down of insulin and dopamine, because they both go up and down and we have these crashes of high and low moods and high moods and low moods, which uh, if I go to a doctor, I'm going to be diagnosed as anxiety, mm -hmm. um, uh, bipolar two disorder, uh, maybe even some kind of PTSD because I can't sleep and now I have nightmares at night. I mean, it, it, attention deficit disorder. It, it's going to mimic many of these conditions, which I may already have make them worse mm -hmm. or bring them on in the first place. This is just because of this roller coaster of um, experience that's far beyond what my body would normally handle. So what we want to do is get away from that whole roller coaster and get back on the slow ups and downs of normal life, right. which is food, like normal food. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and the food industry is well aware yeah. that they of this chemistry and they are purposely yes. adding in sugars and refining yes. the wheat in yes. a way that they are more addictive. They know it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's even, what, what I find even worse is they know it. And then they also sneak in there. The message is, this is normal. This is love. And this healthy. And healthy. Yes. <laughs> and healthy. Yeah. Because you can walk down the cereal aisle of, of sugar-coated cereals with, yeah. this is heart healthy. Yeah. Exactly. At least the crack dealer is not saying this is healthy. <laughs> this is good for you. Everybody knows that this is not a good thing. But the food industry's got that that upper hand um, that it yeah it can actually promote it as healthy. Yes, there are yeah. lobbies for this, and I'm not bashing it. Look, yeah. I loved me a cocoa puff. I adored Lucky Charms. Those were my treats. I get it. I get it's uh -huh. yummy. I get it's good. Uh -huh. well, well, not good for you. But yes. it's it's a nice treat. I get it. And in moderation, all of that is fine. But when you aren't feeling good, when your mm -hmm. health isn't at its optimum, no matter what age you are, and especially if you do have kids, if you yeah. are grooming them to be a refined yes. food addict. Yes, I'm glad you used that word grooming. That's and, it. And it's easier because the kids want it. It's easier to give it to them, yeah. keep them quiet. Yeah. And if you're my age, you're like, what's the big deal? I grew up with that. Yeah. But like I said, something has to be different because yeah. we weren't addicted in that way. We no, weren't, we weren't going crazy. Yeah. You know, bouncing off the walls. Yeah. I, 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 it's worse. So, you know, I'm, I'm the, a few generations before you and you guys were, were hit with it harder than I was. And our gen the, the next few generations beyond us are hit with it even more because we're hit with it even in vitro. Like, you mm -hmm. know, you're, yes. you're, you're the moms and if you're, and if mom is eating all this stuff, she's exposing the kid. Whereas my mother wasn't, didn't expose me and possibly your mother didn't expose you. Right. But you know, it's, it's just, it is getting worse. It really is getting worse. 
Yes. And it, and I don't know that we need science to tell us this, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. with all due respect to science and I love science and yes, we need, I mean, we've got mm-hmm. a president that won't listen to it. I, well, I want to remind people we're, we're recording this in October. My fingers are crossed for November <laughs> and this will likely air in December, but um, y- you know, science is important, but so is common sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, so do we really need, you know, things to be told to us like this is healthy when it's yeah. not like, I mean, let's, did it grow on a tree? Did it come out of the ground? Right. Did, did yeah. it once upon a time moo? Probably then it's not necessarily healthy. If it's in a box, uh-huh. in a bag, it's probably yeah. not necessarily healthy, even if it's, even if it's labeled as healthy. As healthy. Yeah, it, well, yeah. And you know what? Cigarettes were labeled as healthy at one time. Right. Like they were. They were, you know, you want to suppress your appetite, it works. I mean, Virginia right. Slims, that's where that came from. And there was a time when um, we, uh, they said, they actually said, I think there was a recognition that maybe cigarettes weren't good, but some were healthier than others. Right. And you know, doctors actually um, uh, advertised them. So, yeah, it's, it's I, I don't know. I guess they believed it at the time. I well, don't they were know. paid. Yeah, I guess they were paid. They but were. that idea of it is it common sense. It must have been common sense to see that cigarettes was not healthy. But yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's very interesting because, you know, to go back to the documentary, Fat Fiction, they talk uh, about that health crisis that came about. Yes. And, you know, why are we having all this heart disease? Well, we're all smoking. That's why. Uh, but yes, the correlation right. wasn't there. And yeah. then eventually it was blamed on fat. Yes, right. And so after watching this documentary, and it is a little bit more about the keto. It doesn't really say that, but it is, it is a little yeah. bit about that. I, I decided to do my own experiment. And I decided to bulletproof my T-Chino. Uh, uh-huh. And so I'll, I'm kind of limited on the fats I can add because I don't do dairy. So it would be coconut oil or olive oil, not, or uh-huh. avocado. Can't really yeah. put that in your coffee. So I decided uh-huh. I had some, um, I had some coconut manna about, and I put that in there. So I've been doing this about two, maybe three weeks. And I will tell you, I am less hungry, mm. much more satisfied. Carb cravings are down. Mm. And the thing that was most surprising to me is I'm not looking for distractions. So like first thing in the morning, I would just turn on the TV to hear Uh noise, not to watch it, but just to have noise. But I noticed that, oh, I like the silence. Isn't that interesting? Calm. For me, it really was like, you know, I kind of get how the appetite works and I kind of get how that goes. But for that one tablespoon of fat added to my diet in the morning, how yeah. much changed yeah. and yeah. and I didn't gain weight because I know people are worried that if you put fat into your diet, fat equals fat. That's what we were taught yeah. that I fat know, equals fat. Yeah. But it's so not true. It's sugar equals fat. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the other thing is that, that fat uh, is not as dopamine a rush. Mm-hmm. So you're quiet was just the dopamine settling to a more normal, like normal in the way that we're supposed to be working, operating. We're not supposed to be in these, you know, extremes all the time. That right. when you were looking for something to do, you, it was like your dopamine was on the ceiling and you're not. Your feet are back on the ground, right. back to where you're supposed to be. Uh, so you are probably more where you should be, um, which is, yeah, that's the dopamine and the uh, endorphin. It's, it's the neurochemistry recalibrating back to where it's supposed to be. Yes. And, yeah. and it was just very interesting and very simple to just see in your own life what mm. foods make you feel better and what yeah. foods make you feel worse. And, you know, whether you do a food diary or you're just kind of paying attention to it, because again, this isn't about diet culture. This isn't about counting calories. Exactly. It's yeah. just learning what foods really do uplift you, for lack of a better word, yeah. and ones that kind of depress you, for lack yeah. of a better word. Because if you are paying attention to your consumption, you will notice, oh, I feel much better after I ate that. Or, ooh, yeah. that was yummy, but I don't feel so great right now. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and the, the terminology that I use is, which is very similar, I like that concept of being uplifted, um, is just, uh, are, am I obsessed? Am I still thinking about it? Or um, am I quiet? So we use the term food serenity. But mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's the same idea. That, that you can push yourself away from the plate and move on to another event, another thing, ready to go on to the next thing that you want to do. Um, and if you're a food addict, you don't want to leave the plate because there's still you still want more. And, uh, you know, that obsession, it can be just quiet. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't need to be there. If someone is in the midst of food addiction, what advice do you have for them to yeah, get well, help? You know, yeah, what I would say, first of all, is um, educate yourself. So I'm going to th- suggest, please read my book, which is Food Junkies Recovery from Food Addiction. Uh, it's a very easy to read book on the whole concept of what we're talking about today. Um, because you have to buy into this in order to be willing to try like you did your little experiment with it sounds like you're still doing it now yes. with bulletproof coffee. Like You have to be willing to try this on yourself. Um, so in this case, like I also do, um, and I'm not the only one who does this but that you know sugar-free september at least a month sometime best best with other people to quit sugar and just see how you feel afterwards mm-hmm. so sugar and possibly flour uh, just see how you feel afterwards um so the idea of educating yourself um uh, to buy into it is i is the first thing and that exists now. You just have to type in on the internet, sugar-free September, sugar-free October. Tons of people are doing it. I have a Facebook group called I'm Sweet Enough, Sugar-Free for Life, which has that. <laughs> um, and then there's my book. And and uh, uh, if you go on my website, which is called addictionsunplugged.com, I also have resources um, because I belong to a uh, community of clinicians who across the world, but mainly it's Canada and the States, um, uh, are people who make themselves available to give advice um, on um, food addiction issues like food plans or coaching or mm-hmm. groups or classes because although it's still a very small world, um, it is growing. And I would really encourage whoever's listening to um, go to a site, and I'm going to say me, but it doesn't yes. have to be me, um, because there's a lot of people out there who say, I know food addiction, come to me and I'll teach you how to do it. But they don't really know food addiction because they're not really capturing that concept of the trigger food and mm-hmm. you've got to identify what that is and avoid that in order to achieve freedom. So you want to go to somebody who gets that concept. And I have on my website a number of those people, but you can find it elsewhere. Just make sure that it's true food addiction. It's a small community, uh, but there are it's growing, and we need more people. And my hope is that it's just going to continue to grow. Like podcasts like this, discussions like this, um, we're spreading the word, and then more and more people, like it sounds like you, are getting on board. And then we'll probably talk about it with other people, and it'll just spread in the same ways we finally got the cigarettes out of our living room now they're out on the you know now the smokers are outside (laughs) freezing freezing themselves wishing they could quit smoking one day that's going to be us you know uh the people who really insist on having their muffins will have to go outside (laughs) take your sugar outside i don't want to see that in here maybe in 10 years we'll see that or 20 years i don't know but we've got to get something happening uh to not normalize this and uh make it a comfortable safe normal thing to say no thank you i'm sweet enough i've had my sugar i don't want any more yes you know? yes and that, that exists now slowly it does and i think especially here in america a lot of it does have to do with your socioeconomic ability <laughs> to have yeah. access to those foods that you can afford that are readily available yeah and and bringing that in and i will also mention that there is a bit of a withdrawal. Yes, there is. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, we have to acknowledge that too. Yes. It's a 10-day to two-week process of, you know, crawling the ceiling, saying, I really want to have this thing. And, you know, often it, it'll translate to um, not being able to sleep because mm-hmm. you're used to having that thing before you go to sleep. A lot of people sleep, eat. So they wake up and they want to eat and you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the good news is first of all i don't think you should do it alone 
Um, right. You can call somebody and say, help me. Um, if you can just get through that first two to three weeks, really, it gets easier after that. It doesn't even take that long for most people. If you're hardcore, it might take three weeks. If you're not so hardcore, maybe 10 days, eight days. Well, and I know just from taking sugar out and grains out, yeah. I felt fluish for about two, three days. Like you get a little yeah. bit of body aches, yeah. just a little uncomfortable, a little grumpy. Yeah, people call that the keto flu, but it's not. It's it yeah. maybe partly keto flu, but it's also it's withdrawal from sugar. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and grains. Yeah, and grains. I, I'm I'm really pleased that you're mentioning grains too, because uh, my plan, um, uh, and I'm I, I see myself as more extreme than most, is I don't eat sugar, flour, or grains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that when I added the, the grains, which was about now seven years ago, uh, it just made everything so much easier. I mean, yeah. I quit sugar more than 15 years ago and then flour about eight years ago and grains like you know i don't know six seven years ago and that's just made it's it, every time I cut, I, I cut sweeteners out it took me that long um you know less than a year ago i had to eat those for a long time mm-hmm. i don't eat those now either it's like the, the more you the more i get rid of the better i feel and right. uh, i'm glad that you mentioned the grains too because some people d- don't need to quit grains not everybody right but some people really do yeah. For me, just health wise, and, and, you know, and I was having brown rice, I, you know, healthy grains. Yes. But for me, that was like the last of it for my allergies or my immune system, whatever it was, but yes. to not have a sinus infection. Yes. Yes. And you also said you couldn't eat dairy and uh, that's not everybody either, but there's right. a lot of people who can eat dairy. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that again was for my allergies. It's, it's, there are just certain things. It's not lactose intolerant. I could yeah. have it without a, a problem, but it just congested me. It also affected my immune system. I would feel more run down. Yeah. We get sicker easier. So yeah. these are just things that I've learned for myself, but it did show me that food is medicine. And if mm-hmm. you take out the yeah. crap, if you take out the crap, and yes. you put in the good stuff. And there's plenty of good stuff. I can give you a recipe for a chocolate cake that is grain-free, made with chickpeas. You won't believe how good it is. Huh. And you can make it very low sugar. If you need to have the stuff that you want, you can find a way. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel like you can't ever have it. But this birthday rolled around and I didn't need a cake this year. Because yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's just not something I need. And yeah, you, that's it. You your, won't your perspective, need it. Yeah, your perspective shifts. Yeah. But if you're worried that you're going to feel that you aren't able to enjoy life because you're not going to have these things, give yourself a minute to get through it because it looks uh-huh. different on the other side. Yes. And you're going to feel so much better. And if you, when you're feeling better, you're not necessarily going to want the garbage that used to bring you joy. Yes, absolutely. That's right. It, it won't feel like being deprived because you won't want it. And that's the great thing. Like once you start eating healthy foods, you crave healthy foods. You aren't craving the crud. Yes. Yes. So then the, then the uh, uh, next task will be how do you celebrate without that stuff? And that's where we, that's, that's where we need to be creative. We need mm-hmm. to find new ways to celebrate um, without that. Well, there are lots yeah. of recipes. There are lots of recipes that for if you're grain-free, if you're dairy-free, if you're all of the above, or if you're just a specific diet, there are lots of really good recipes. So again, you aren't feeling deprived. Yes. But you won't because you'll just feel better. And to be free of that addiction and to be free of the stuff that doesn't make you feel good, even though you think it should, because on a label it says healthy, or it's what you've grown up eating, or it's what everybody's eating right now. If it Uh doesn't feel good, later get rid of it right <laughs> yeah <laughs> right on yeah well dr charman thank you so much it was such a delight talking with you about this really kind of inflammatory subject yes of, of food addiction I, I believe it's real and i yeah. believe that we can be much better about supporting people with it and getting our medical community to address it Yes, we may have to tell them. We may need to bring them these podcasts. We may need to bring them the uh, articles. But yes, yes, I think the more that they hear it and the more that they see the success 
of mm-hmm. somebody who's you know maintain weight loss and happily uh, that's that's gonna that's gonna make the difference yes. yes well thank you again and you can find Dr. Tarman on her website Addictions Unplugged on Twitter at Ad Unplug or on Facebook at Vera Tarman MD. Again, her book is Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction, available in all formats, and I highly recommend it if you are struggling with food addiction or to gain more understanding about it. It's a great book. And thank you so much for listening. If you like this sassy little podcast, please subscribe to it, rate it, and review it, and tell your friends about it. To contribute to the podcast and help keep it ad-free, consider becoming a member of the community at sassylittlepodcast.com. Until next time, take care.